As your interior designer, I'm saying do everything in black. Walls, sofa, carpet, goldfish, everything. Um, can we not have a bit of colour? Maybe one tiny highlight in Battleship Grey. It's your home, so you should be in charge. With Avancard's flexible home improvement loan, you are. You can choose any repayment period that works best for you up to 84 months. That's seven years. Find out more at avancard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. New applications only. Seven-year term applies to minimum loan value of €20,000. Avancard Dock Trading as Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, Logic Radio presents the greatest podcast in the world, the market at Samuel Plan, the devil's advocate Shinobi, the lunatic king Marek, and single-syllable mother, the right side of the pond. And of course, if you're not down with that, we got two words for you! Subloads of pain and welcome to the right side of the pond. It is Friday and welcome to the right side of the pond's fast lane preview. Obviously, we've, we've talked to, uh, over the last few weeks about how... Um, these pre-WrestleMania pay-per-views, the ones this in this wilderness period between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, are curious beasts looking at this cars and looking at the build we've just had. I think, you know, we're in that situation again where it's a bit like, would this be essential WrestleMania viewing? You know, one or two matches aside, probably not. Um, nevertheless, uh, Elimination Chamber surprised us and was a very good card. So, you know, we might end up with the same... The same thing here. Um, so let's just jump straight in plan, I think. Hey, So we've got um, a pre-show match. Uh, what seems like maybe the 900th match between uh, Rey Mysterio <laughs> and uh, the now, the artist formerly known as Andrade Cien Ormas. Um, obviously, their TV feud was absolutely brilliant. It seems a shame to me they just couldn't leave it as a TV feud because I, I really like it when you have a feud which is on TV, doesn't get a pay-per-view match, it enhances both people. Because I felt like the Mysterio Andrade series, it did what it was meant to do, which was to re-establish Andrade as a badass. It's done that. So do we need this? Uh, well, the answer is uh, clear no, I think. But at the same time, you know, there, there, are, there are worse pairings to go in an overlong feud for, I guess. Uh, and you would imagine it's still going to be a fun match. Uh, I think <clears throat> why, you know, why we have to uh, be in a world where Shane McMahon gets on the main card and these two don't, I, you know. But that's, I guess that's, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> I guess that's opening up a whole can of worms that we've spoken about till we're blue in the face on this show. So, um, but, you know, it's pre-show stuff. So, so not a lot of people will probably see it anyway. Uh, and those that do will probably get a nice little extra boost. I mean, I don't, you know, I I can't say I have strong enough feelings to really care that they that they're having another match. I guess. Yeah. No. I mean, I see. I, I know what you mean. I mean, and and like you say, it is going to be very likely a, a very good match. Um, it's just. I feel like. Not, I mean, I don't. I don't know why that that why they're wrestling. I've got no idea what the motivation is on either front. Uh, they keep selling this story on commentary about how Andrade sees himself as uh, wanting to take Ray's legacy. Like, I guess it's like 
yeah, we talked before about the Brock Lesnar conquers thing. It's like, you know, Andrade will absorb the spirits of all Latin American wrestlers. Yeah. Uh, some of the sort of nonsense like that is what they're pushing on commentary. But I think, you know, they obviously this has come out of the fact that uh, they were the other two who were in the US title match uh, on SmackDown. Obviously, Truth lost the title, Joe won the title, and these two, um, you know, were the uh, the other pairing, so I guess it, it makes sense that they're uh, that they're they're in a match. I guess it's just it's been going since January. It seems it seems crazy, really, but not unusual for WWE. I think SmackDown suffers from this thing at the moment where they'll get one of these mid cards. It suffers from a thing called the creative team. I think. Well, yeah, I mean, what show doesn't really? But um, <laughs> like, they'll get a mid card a hot right. So like Andrade. <laughs> before the Rumble, um, Mustafa Ali, just after the Rumble, and obviously with Ali it was injury, but um, they'll get a mid-card a hot and then they'll drop the ball on them and they'll just, because like after this Mysterio feud, like Andrade then like sort of gets, gets jobbed out to Alistair Black, you know, and it's a bit like, what are you, what are you doing? Well, because, you know, obviously Andrade isn't a star because there are no stars on the main roster. It's like, you know, the, uh, he sort of, inverted commas, non-star Andrade loses to Alistair Black, who is destined to be the next person that, that Vince decides isn't much, isn't another isn't star, star because, you know, he's Dutch or something. And, it, and it's all their own fault, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's only a matter of time before they make him wear like, you know, orange ring gear or something because he's Dutch. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I just, comes out in clogs. Oh God almighty. <laughs> It, you know, like sort of a tray of Edam. Um, <laughs> uh, I <laughs> maybe they could maybe you could wrestle like the New Day and on in a pole match where one has a tray of Edam and one has a tray of pancakes or something. Oh my God! Don't give them ideas. But yeah, I suspect Andrade will uh, will will win here. Um, but who cares really? Um, all right, let's move on to <laughs> positive start. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, let's move on to the. Uh, oh God! I mean, what, 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 uh, what like underwhelming match should we discuss next? Um, all right, let's look at the first. Let's get let's get the Shane McMahon Miz thing out of the way. I was going to say either that or this Boss and Hug nonsense. All right, so. Uh, oh yeah, no, that's a good call. Yeah, let's get Boss and Hug nonsense out of the way. So the first defense of the women's tag team championships. Uh, so putting cynicism aside, it's you know like they've crowned the champions. I'm glad they've got a pay per view match. Uh, the only problem is, is they're against bloody Nia Jackson Tamina, like you know the uh, the twin vacuum of personality. Um, so, like, I think we were both very keen for one of the full time tag teams uh, in the women's division to win this, be it Riot Squad or you know Mandy and Sonya or um, you know or the Iconics because of the fact that, that they act as a team and you don't have this kind of thrown-together aspect to it. Now, fair enough, all right, you give it to Bailey and Sasha, fine. But then you also put them up against the other team that's been thrown together just because they both happen to be, you know, from a Pacific Island background. Um, so, I don't know, not the most auspicious start, I don't think, really. Well, I have no real issue with with uh, Bailey and Banks uh, coming out as the champions of that elimination chamber match because even though they are mainly sort of single stars, 
and not necessarily a full-time team. They have obviously spent the majority of the last 12 months sort of together. So, it, you know, a nice, if you, I mean, I don't see why we should have to compromise, but, it, you know, as compromises go, and they've got the star power as well. So I understand that, and I don't necessarily have an issue with it. Uh, and Nia Jax and Tamina, I think, are, are, to be fair, are a tandem that have a, a specific role to play. Uh, you know, those big powerhouse teams often serve a purpose in, in tag team divisions, as we've seen through history. But I do feel like it's that they're the wrong pick to allow these titles coming out of the, you know, to have a shot at these titles coming out of the gates, the first championship pay-per-view match. Uh, because you want to establish a sense of excitement. And the quickest way to do that in the contemporary environment is to go out there and let a bunch of women have a great workhorse match. And obviously they can't really do that with Tamina and Naya. Um, uh, but, but it's, it's one of those situations where there are better workers and there are better personalities. So I don't, you know, they've, they've kind of gone for the worst in either sphere, because if you wanted Sasha and Baylor to go against, you know, a pair of big characters, the Iconics would have been perfect. If you wanted them to go against a pair of workers, maybe you should have turned to, you know, I mean, any number of thrown together teams, but something like uh, Riot Squad would have been would have been a nice um, a nice move. It is what it is, you know. They've gone for they've gone for Naya and Tamina. I don't I I've not really been paying much attention to this particular storyline, in all honesty. So I don't really know. I think storyline you know. might be being generous. Okay, fair enough. Um, can't say I'm shocked. Um, but I think what's even more disappointing is that the rumoured opponents for Bailey and Sasha at WrestleMania are Trish and Lita. And it's just like, come on. You know. So it's it's a missed opportunity for sure. Yeah, this is the thing. If you create a new set of titles, then you want to get it off to a, um, a big start. And, and it's like the Elimination Chamber was a great way to launch it in the end because it ends up being a really good match. Um, and it feels like They've they've dropped the ball because, like, no one's going to care about Tamina and Nia. Like, you know, Nia is already walking X Pack heat at this point, and Tamina is is has been so irrelevant for the last decade that I I'm constantly surprised that she still works for them. You know, bar that one like slightly memorable bit where she was AJ Lee's Diesel. Like, what has she done in all of that time? So it's. It's not like the coolest match they could have put on. Like you say, they could have done something where they got a good wrestling match out of it. They could have done something where you you got some character work out of it, and instead it's just going to be a match that you know people aren't that bothered about. So um, I imagine the champs will retain. But like I didn't, I hadn't heard that rumor about Trish and Lita. Like I just threw mm. my mouth a little bit at that. Like. Just, I mean, I guess. Oh God, uh, what's her face is going into the, into Hall of Fame, right? As well, uh, Tori Wilson. So I would be terribly surprised if they, you know, did something with her even. Um, which you know, it's just it just kind of goes to show again, like you know, you you, you kind of enter January thinking maybe WrestleMania won't be like it has been, and it looks like it's going to be, if anything, worse. Well, it's 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 become the annual narrative, hasn't it? Yeah. They, they get off to what feels like a promising start and then they just decide, you know, all these reactions that people have been having to, you know, the Rollins-Lesnar segments and the Ronda-Becky segments and everything in between obviously indicate that they aren't stars somehow. 
I mean, and people people would rather see a fifty-year-old actor attack a seventy-year-old retiree to gain the attention of a fifty-year-old business executive, and then not turn up the next week. Well, I mean, and and and, and do you know what? I know what frustrates me about that. I don't want us to go down this rabbit hole too too long, but what frustrates me is that I'm a Batista fan. I've always been a Batista fan, really. Like I I dig Batista, but I don't want to see him in 2019. Well, this is the thing with the whole, you know, uh, with the whole thing. I mean, I, I wrote in my column this week that I'm fine with Ronda in the women's title match, Miz and Shane doing something stupid, and Brock defending against Seth. Like, that to me would have felt like, okay, we've got major part-timers, but they're all wrestling, you know, full-time contemporary stars. And, and that I can live with, you know. We don't have to live with... The Undertaker. So far, we don't have anything with John Cena in. Um, well, the rumor now is that John Cena will be the one to wrestle Samoa Joe for the US title. I mean, you know, I guess I mean at least they're the same age, I suppose. But oh yeah, the whole the whole thing is just ridiculous because this whole I need to bring in name value to sell an event, sell, sell an event that sells itself, and I guess everything we've talked about before really it, it is. It is depressing, particularly when you consider what they could do with with what they have, and and how many people are just going to be sat on the bench during during WrestleMania. I mean, um, although we've talked before about whether in the future we might end up being like a two day event, in which case suddenly these card spaces would open up again. Um, it's certainly yeah, it's. A, I mean, they've a they've just step to uh, they've. Sorry, go on. I keep talking. It's a yeah, it's, it's a retrograde step to sort of you know start inviting Batista back and start you know getting Trish and Lita in. It's just you know there are so they've done so much to build that women's division, and as we said after right. after Evolution, they didn't need all of those people from the past. They didn't need them in the first women's Rumble. They didn't need them in this year's Rumble, and they didn't have them, and it was all all the better for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, nevertheless, uh, let's move on to oh another part timer. So, so yeah. the Usos um, obviously won the SmackDown Tag Championships from the Miz and Shakeman at the Royal Rumble. Uh, we assume that the way this is heading is towards uh, at Miz and Shane Brett and Owen situation where they end up wrestling at WrestleMania, um, which I'm sure. Again, very few people want to see that match, I dare say. But we're going to see it whether we want it or not. So I guess it's just however the inevitable angle plays out. Does it play out on the night or is it going to be the SmackDown afterwards? Because, of course, after the Rumble, it was all Miz crying and saying he let Shane down and, you know, I let my family down and all this sort of nonsense. So whether it's... Which is so, so out of character, by the way. I know, right? This is... This is the other thing, isn't it? This is another plague that they seem incapable of managing to master, which is this sense of, okay, we've got this plan. We want to do Miz versus Shane. How do we build to it? Uh, You know, we'll do this, this and this. And, you know, if it's completely out of character and odds with everything that he's done and said for the last half a decade, then who cares? Because it's just for this to get us to this destination. I think the thing with any face turn is that, you know, it needs to be uh, convincing. And I just think Miz 
turning face because his boss replaced him in a best in the world tournament and won. Just the the whole yeah. way it's been set up. I mean, let's just even the fact that they let Shay win that bloody tournament in the first place, even if it was on well, some I mean, stupid that, I mean, that reaction is instantly out of character, isn't it? Yeah, like the Miz wouldn't wouldn't want to buddy up to someone who took his place in a tournament to be called best in the world. That'd piss him off. Everything we've seen for the last three years tells us that much. I think what we learned from Face Miz the first time around was that um, no one wants to see it. <laughs> like, that character does not work as a babyface. You know, like, mid-card babyface Miz, you know, 10-minute matches aside, was, was an absolute disaster. Um, and it was only when he got the opportunity to to put on this Hollywood character, you know, start resting good matches with Dolph Ziggler in the mid-card, and then AJ Styles' arrival kind of ends up sort of pushing him back towards, you know, where he had been before Cena buried his career. And, and since then, he's been on this amazing role. Um, but this is seems to me to have torpedoed him all over again. Now, I guess maybe they're banking on this short-term face term making him an even bigger heel when he turns on Shane but do people care about Shane that much that if Miz turns heel on him people will be like oh my god I feel so sorry for Shane McMahon like I he doesn't elicit that stronger reaction does he uh well in Vince's head he does well clearly um I don't it's it's funny like I could never Shane Shane McMahon could never work out in terms of you know like the, the way in which he sort of left the company and it seemed like, you know, uh, he was kind of done playing politics against his own sister. And he was like, you know what, I'm just going to leave her and trips to it. And now he's back and it seems like he's kind of uh, as involved as he was before he left again. So, you know, I, I, th- I think I read something about like, you know, he is uh, involved in running the SmackDown creative team in some sense or other. So... It's uh, it's certainly uh, an interesting one because when he came back, it was just as a performer, and now it seems that he is doing executive work again. So, yeah, strange one. Who knows? And what's the point? Who cares? Well, yes, quite. So, th- this match then, do we think that whatever the the Miz and Shane powers explode thing was it going to be in the match backstage next night on SmackDown? Well, they've still got a long... I mean, I was saying this on SEID this week. We've still got the better part of a month to go yet before we even get to WrestleMania. I mean, that's the crazy thing, isn't it? It feels like we've been... In fact, I think we've got a month to go, literally. Um, and yet we've been building towards this show already for two months. It's, it's. I mean, that alone drives home another issue that you've written recently about, Matt. Um, so maybe maybe for, this, for the sake of... of just spacing out and buying time. They, they build up to it at some point on, on SmackDown live. Uh, I, I, I struggle to care all that much, to be honest, just like get it, get it done. Well, yeah, quite. I mean, I, I wonder if maybe they even have them win the belts here. And so they, you know, like you say, if they've got four or five weeks to go, then they might even just try and pad time by having them win them. 
I mean, with with uh, with Mac coming back, it looks like they may be building perhaps to the Hardys and Usos at, at WrestleMania. I guess. And again, like you know, I know the Hardys thing was kind of it was a, a cool moment in WrestleMania. Um, no, it was thirty three, but you know, like that, you know, you can only exist on those nostalgia fumes for so long. It's a bit like, you know, I thought Matt was kind of done with WWE and yet, you know, here he is again. Um, and it's crazy because, you know, next year will be 20 years since WrestleMania 16. It is. I mean, it's, it's just, it's mind boggling when you start to put things into perspective, when you think about the fact that, you know, between Montreal and Bret Hart coming back to the company was 13 years. And then you think about the fact that between Batista winning the world title and coming back this year is long is a longer time period than that. And and to me, I mean, as a fan, as a Bret Hart fan, that span of 13 years, that was like a measuring stick of like, you know, of, of relative length. Sort of, I would always think, okay, well, Brett was gone for the company for for thirteen years, and this has taken X amount of time, and that's that put things, you know, the fact that we're existing in a world like twenty years since since the hard is really a thing, a proper, you know, a proper thing, and yet we're still here. I mean, I change in this company is well and truly dead, and the 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 carcass has rotted. Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're stuck. We're frozen in time and we're stuck in time and we're going to remain stuck in this time warp until all of these quote unquote legends, their bodies are broken down and they can't go anymore. And you know what the worst thing of all is? If the Undertaker's anything to go by, they will continue performing even after that point as well. I wouldn't even be shocked at this stage if Ric Flair ended up wrestling another match. I think. Like I said before, WrestleMania seems to be the problem. Like it, it because the rest of the year, Lesnar aside, this isn't really happening that much. And yet it's like so every year we've got to go through this whole sham in the name of the inverted commas casual user or you know casual viewer. Um, and it'd be interesting to know like like who does everybody think these casual viewers are because if they're talking about kids well they weren't born when batista was it's insane w- isn't it? w- was wrestling thing. fans who weren't even alive when batista was becoming a main event star like so you know you think about it there are you know sort of there are people that will not remember batista's most recent run like with evolution, like and WrestleMania 30 and so on and so forth. Like, you know, there are people whose first WrestleMania might have been WrestleMania 32 or WrestleMania 33. I mean, I hope their first WrestleMania wasn't WrestleMania 32. It's not the best, uh, not the best one to come in on, really, is it? But um, like, that's that's what I can't understand. Is that if I think the casual viewer base is kids, then Batista, or they might have seen Guardians of the Galaxy, I guess, but they wouldn't associate him with being a wrestler even if that was the case. Um, if I'm think... sorry, but as you know, and I'm a Batista, like, as I said earlier, I'm a Batista fan. I've always really liked Batista. Um, at least when I came back to wrestling, since I came back to wrestling in 2007. And, but it, it, you know, Batista isn't, 
the Undertaker or, or Triple H or, you know, he's not one of these. I mean, I, even it pains me to use the name at this point, but he's not like an Attitude Era guy. You know, he was he was a top guy when when the business was diminishing, not when it was growing or expanding or becoming more popular. He was a top guy with Cena when it was becoming less popular. You know, and it's like they've forgotten that Batista and John Cena and Randy Orton these became top stars because they were heavily pushed by the company as such. Not because they suddenly grabbed the brass, this imaginary brass ring that doesn't exist and somehow tore open all these doors that weren't open to them in the first place. They were heavily ordained by the company to be top guys, so they became top guys. That's how it works. That's And, and, and it's insane that we still live in this world now where somehow WWE have worked themselves into a shoot, to use the parlance, that that's not the case and that they've started to almost believe their own kind of myths and folklores and stories about how you've got to somehow overcome a lack of interest from the company you work for to, to, to you know, become something more. I mean, I'll never forget, you know, the, the summer of punk or, or whatever it we want to call it in 2011 when it all got derailed because punk started feuding with triple H. There was an in-ring segment where triple H was banging on to CM Punk about how, you know, it wasn't about winning over the executives. It was about winning over the fans while the fans were chanting CM Punk's name, you know, and that suddenly you go, okay, you know, I, 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 I sort of, I get what Punk is saying now because they're they're totally oblivious to to well I don't even think they're oblivious I think they're willfully blind to what fans chant and and think and feel and and it's like they they like I said they work themselves into the shoot that actually you know you've got to somehow become a mega top guy without the company being behind you the ratings spiked when Roman's re- when Roman returned and the the rumor is that that Vince was frustrated recently because he didn't have scenery he didn't have Roman that's what he blamed low ratings on and if that's true maybe he ought to stop and ask himself why it is that roman would pop ratings this guy who has wrestled in four wrestlemania main events consecutively holds wins over the undertaker triple h and brock lesnar and has been at the forefront of the company for a prolonged period of time why on earth would he pop ratings i wonder well, well I mean, it's like come come on and and roman reigns i mean i don't buy into this you know roman reigns became very organically popular as a member of the shield but he wouldn't be where he is now if he hadn't have then been in receipt of the full faith and favor of the company. It's a two-way street. Yes, there's an element of the performer having to go out there and make a, a name for themselves and put themselves on the map. But at some point, the company has to get behind them and give them that extra push over the top of the mountain. That's how Bret Hart got there. It's how Shawn Michaels got there. It's how Hulk Hogan got there. It's how Ultimate Warrior got there. It's how Randy Savage got there. It's how Stone Cold, The Rock, Triple H, Batista, John Cena, Randy Orton, The Undertaker, every single one of them got there, not just by their own self, but because the company saw that they were making a difference and then put their full weight behind them. And what happens today is the performer starts to make a bit of a mark for themselves, a bit of a name for themselves, and WWE go, well, you're not a star yet, so we need Brock Lesnar to come in and beat you. And then suddenly no one cares anymore and they wonder why. And again, to bring it back to the Usos, I mean, they're, <laughs> Sorry. They, they, but, 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 they, but I mean, like, they're, they're a, a case in point. How many WrestleMania has the Uso been on the main card for? One? 
something like that, I think, yeah. I think I'm pretty sure it's one, because that wasn't that like a storyline point of their sort of, yeah. New Day match, like, you know, oh, you know, you're not the best team on SmackDown because, you know, you haven't even been on a WrestleMania card. Like, yeah. you know, you guys are in the back eating catering while we're hosting WrestleMania. Wasn't that like a quote of the New Day, I think, at one point? Um, and, and, you know, like that's crazy that probably the foremost tag team of the last 10 years um, has been on one main WrestleMania card. That's like, that's, that's, that's like criminal really. I mean, it shows what they care about tag team wrestling as well, actually. But, um, you know, I just think once again, you've got these incredibly talented guys and they're being held back in this case by being, you know, wedded to uh, the Miz and Shane Marlon, this kind of lame storyline. I just, you know, like I say at the start of the show, I could have lived with Miz v. Shane McMahon if it was one of only two or three things with part-time acting. I can't live with it if you're also getting Trish, Lita, John Cena, Bastion, Booger, for all I know. Like, yeah, come on. It's insane, isn't it? It's just it's just an easy way for them to, excuse, to recuse themselves of their own failings as a company. Yeah. It's not our fault, it's their fault, you know. It's not Vince's fault. He couldn't possibly be to be at fault. Not his fault. It's because the guys don't want it enough. The guys aren't talented enough. But what I can't understand, this is that I, what, again though, what I can't, that way of thinking doesn't make any sense to me because for the other 11 months of the year, they let their exactly. full-time roster just get on with it. Exactly. So why is WrestleMania this sticking point? Now, now I know that they always use celebrities, right? It'd be historically naive to say that that wasn't always a big part of WrestleMania, even in the the mo the you know like years ago, you and I did a podcast on the inverted commas small WrestleManias, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We did like ten to you ten to fourteen, I think together. It was ten to twenty. Oh gosh, we did that many. <laughs> but, oh, oh what's, hold on, what it because I did one with Mazza, one with you, and one with Joey. And it was in the build-up to WrestleMania 30, yeah. So I did ten with one to ten with Mazza, well, one to nine with Mazza, ten to twenty, ten to nineteen with you, and then twenty to twenty-nine with Joey. That was it. Well, we talked a lot in that show. I think we did, mate, we ended up focusing on uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, I think, a lot of it for a lot of that show. And what I remember, sort of, you know, sort of saying is that even those smaller shows, right? They still had. Pamela Anderson, you know, Jenny McCarthy, some kid from Home Improvement. Like, they, they still had all the, you know, obviously they... Well, put, 11 was, of course, headlined exactly. by uh, Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, so they still they still used that even then. So I'm not saying they never did this. But, like, this isn't, you know, a celebrity angle or it isn't Roddy Piper uh, being dropped into the mid-card to help get Goldust over. It's like you're taking Roddy Piper in WrestleMania 12 and you're putting him in the main event. Like, imagine the main event of WrestleMania 12 was, you know, um, Brett v. Roddy 2. Like, Brett v. Roddy 1 is fantastic, obviously. But Roddy Piper in, you know, in uh, 1996 was a very different proposition to Roddy Piper in, what was WrestleMania 8? 1992. Like, it's a very different thing. 
Um, and it's exactly the same here. Like all these endless Reigns v Lesnar matches, you know, all these endless, um, you know, these endless sort of things where it's like, oh, you you got to put these people together one last time. It's like, no, you don't. You really don't. So yeah, I don't understand why WrestleMania is different because they sell the the other the other big four they're able to sell without all this nonsense and they you know stadiums or at least arenas like wasn't Rumble in the stadium this year? Didn't have a problem selling that out. Yeah, the whole well, the, quite, the, yeah, the whole exactly. argument is a well, is think, a straw man to me. Ironically, I think they did a little bit. They ended up selling tickets two for one, I think. But you know, it's it's because it's a self perpetuating problem. You know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If they start treating the full-time roster like they aren't stars, they're not going to be stars. If they treat them like they are stars, they will be. Simple. It's. I mean, this isn't, you know, it's not rocket science. This is. This has, what, at the very least, now 35 years of, of precedent to prove what works and what doesn't work. Quite. And, and uh, yeah, as we've said in previous weeks, it's something that doesn't feel like... WrestleMania this month is increasingly feeling like um, like an imposition, you know. It's something, it's like an aberration, it sticks out. It's this this kind of, this bizarro well where we're forced to forget what we actually know as wrestling fans and, and pretend to be excited because it's WrestleMania. But, like, if somebody said, be excited, it's Christmas, and then gave you a load of presents that you've been given a million times before... You got well worse than that. You got the same presents. You literally the same presents you got ten years prior. Exactly. Be excited. Here's your, you know, here's your He-Man figure, and you're 25. Like it's just like, what the hell? Uh, in conclusion, then uh, the Miz and Shane. <laughs> this is this is how disinteresting the actual storyline for this match is. But it is provoked by the fact that they've got, you know, Shaitman, who. I mean, I forget, I forget his age, late forties, I guess. Like in a match, you know, against the Usos, uh, I just think like that. Like even if you take this from a character point of view, like you know, he's meant to be somebody that's helping to run the company. It's like, oh, hang on, I'll just go and have a wrestling match for a bit, just because personal ego project. Yeah, quite. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I suspect that the Usos will probably retain and, and this will start the dissolution of Miz and Shane McMahon, although don't bet against them swerving and having Miz and Shane win the titles again. We're two-time champions. <laughs> oh, God, we have to watch Miz's dad on TV again. That's never fun. <laughs> I was watching, uh, when I was watching WrestleMania 13 uh, this last weekend for the purpose of my semi-final column in the Columns Forums King of Columnists tournament um, during the uh, during the Owen Hart Bulldog versus Vader Mankind tag tile match, uh, Vince reveals that Stu and Helen are sat at ringside, uh, and just mentioning a wrestler's dad made me think of this. And Jerry Lawler's reaction when he finds out that Stu is at ringside is priceless. He's like a kid who's just found out he's getting a surprise birthday present. It's amazing. <laughs> And then it just immediately, literally the second he finds out Stu is there, he just immediately starts launching into about 100 Stu Hart jokes. It's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I mean, as we've said before, commentary is uh, another thing which uh, is is in uh, dire straits as of right now. The whole company is in dire straits right now. Uh, all right, so um, another tag match we've got. So we've got the Revival, who obviously... 
uh, won the Raw Tag Team Championships recently uh, of Bobby Roode and uh, Chad Gable. Now they're going to be fa- well, they're going to be facing um, Gable and Roode, but also the NXT pairing of Alistair Black and Ricochet. So obviously we we have talked about the strangeness of these NXT call ups and how sort of dislocating. Um, they felt on that post elimination chamber raw. Um, and now like after teasing Ricochet and Bala doing stuff together, which I kind of, you know, I could kind of get behind that because it makes sense for their characters to interact. Instead, you know, you've got black and Ricochet and I guess, were they in that um, halftime heat thing together on a team? Yeah, yeah they were, weren't they? Um, so apart, aside from that though, I can't ever recall them particularly interacting and Alistair Black was pretty much presented as a massive loner so why he suddenly got a load of mates I, I can't quite work out but um yeah well because that would require a simple grasp on character development uh, which WWE are incapable of uh, of possessing well yeah that, that's the thing isn't it so here we go thrown together tag team Alistair Black and Ricochet uh in with two established raw teams. Now I'm sure this is going to be a good match. Like it's got the revival in for goodness sake. So, you know, the, the absolute best tag team on the planet. Um, but yeah, just, but it, it does bother me that, that, you know, these four NXT call-ups, um, not thought through whatsoever. Um, and now of course we know, we know that, champ has got to go and have surgery so i mean i guess it'd be interesting to see what they do with johnny now that you know now that champ has not i imagine we're probably going to get a whole other year worth of this fucking endless storyline that just goes on and on and on forever story gone for 15 years and then you know and what would depress me less is knowing that batista wouldn't turn up in 15 years again for another main event against triple h when tomaso champ and johnny gargano finally end this endless storyline so the um the plan was meant to be the takeover new york like so they would be in the dusty classic together that's they would you know obviously uh come to blows after sort of you know the diy magic comes back but then it you know they it breaks down again and so apparently it was meant to end uh at takeover new york but now they're probably gonna have to to shoot a different ending aren't they like if if, if champa can't go but like you say well that does raise the prospect of is uh this feud continuing for another like two years basically um anyway but leaving that aside so black and ricochet the nxt guys in this match um now clearly they have no idea what they're doing with this nxt uh debut angle they've just kind of been making it up week to week uh, do we think that they're going to just put the belts on Black and Ricochet just because it would be like something that people are like, oh, that's different? Or is this just, they're just there because they're there? I have no idea is the honest answer. I've given up trying to predict what they're going to do. Um, I think, I mean, the re- what's happened with the revival is is an absolute perfect case in point of what we've been talking about, isn't it? Is that they go, okay, uh, the revival want to be able to contribute more proactively to the programming, so we'll give them the championships, um, and then the next week they'll lose, and then the week after that they'll lose, and then the week after that they'll lose again, and then we'll give them a pay per view match in which they'll probably lose as well, 
and then no one cares. Oh, you're not stars. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> what the fuck do you expect? Um, so, you know, the pessimist in me says, yes, I, I fully anticipate they will drop the championships, probably to Ricochet and Alistair Black, who will probably then carry them for a couple of weeks and lose them to somebody else. And by the summer, we'll have them on on another team like Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins or some nonsense. Um, and, I mean, all of this situation involving the NXT call-ups uh, and what's been going on with, with, you know, wrestling singles matches and tag matches and everything in between, it all smacks to me of a company being run by somebody who's feeling a little rattled by things that have been unfolding around him, by the sudden fact that wrestlers are wanting to leave and asking for the release, by the sudden fact that there's another company on the scene who sold out an arena in seconds, which is something that WWE hasn't managed to do in, what, over a decade? Um, and, you know, the whole thing just smells desperately of panic to me. And I don't know whether it is or not, of course, but that's what it reads like. That's what it feels like. You know, even, even and we'll get to this and it has an upside to it, but even things like reuniting the Shield and all this sort of stuff, it all feels like WWE are scrambling around trying to figure out, you know, what can we do to interest fans instead of taking some time to sit back, assess the, the culture of the company and adjust accordingly. The match, like you say, I mean, you know, Revival, Black and, uh, and uh, Ricochet, and who's the third team again? Gable and Rude. Gable and Rude. I mean, I really like the way that Gable and Rude have evolved as a team, incidentally. I love their uh, neck-breaker moonsault finish. I think that's that's a thing of beauty. Um, so I'm sure the match will be of, of, ups, of the utmost quality. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those situations where you think as good as it will be, imagine how much better it would be if there was a bit of a storyline there. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the cynic in me expects the revival to lose. Yeah. Um, unless then, and then to be, and then to be consigned as another failure of, of, of talent. I mean, it's interesting. It, it seems like, you know, they put the titles on revival because they've been agitating to get out of their contracts and WWE didn't want to do that. So they reassured them that inverted commas tag team wrestling would be a big deal in 2019. And you guys are going to play a big part in that. So they've given them the titles, but then since then, uh, they've had consistently been given jobber entrances without their theme music. And, yeah. you know, they've, they've been made to look like chumps by people that have just been called up to the main roster. So, it, it doesn't look massively promising. I hope they just have a really good match because that's what the revival do. I, I mean, and actually, you know what? Like, they don't have to be carrying those belts to be to, to be useful. But yeah, I'd like to see them retain. Um, it's not the end of the world if they if if they don't. I just think you could have done something so much better with all of these NXT guys than throwing them into tag matches. You know, like why were Champer and Gargano just wrestling, wrestling the bar in a tag match. I just make it's just, it's just a waste. It's just a waste. Like I think you know, um, you know, saying on 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 Twitter with Doc, you know, uh, Batista dragging a cameraman around backstage to film him dragging Ric Flair's carcass around. Imagine if that was Champer. Like I know you're not a fan of the guy, but if you're gonna, well, 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 well. The thing is, I'm more of, I, I am 
something of a fan of Champa. I'm not really a fan of Johnny Gargano, and I'm not a, f- a fan of the feud that they've had. But I am. Fair I, know, I think I think Champa, outside the, the the Twitter stuff, which does my head in. Um, you know, I think I think Champa is Champa is certainly the more accomplished storyteller in the ring. I think, and there there are elements. There's a spirit to his work in the ring when it's more composed and doesn't get carried away. That reminds me a little bit of Brett, which coming from me is a, a huge compliment to pay somebody. Ah, jolly good. I, I, I'd, I'd missed I'd missed that nuance in your uh, in, in your yeah. uh, comments on those matches, I guess. Um, but you know, I. I uh... I, I just think, like, imagine if that if that had been Champa, like the well, the right, reaction yeah. that would have gained, like the sort of instant star making thing, or indeed if it was Andrade, or if it was any of these, or Samoa Joe, or anyone, and instead it was like Batista or weird pair of sunglasses, you know, it's, uh, not for me. Anyway, well, this is it, yeah, this is it, and it's a shame that they come up with good ideas and execute them well, and it's on guys who aren't around for. Well, this is the thing, like. The for the record, that angle was really well put together. It was really well filmed. Like, you know, Triple H is, although I love the Triple H memes, like the when him running <laughs> backstage, there's all these memes being like, oh, when your mum calls you for dinner and stuff like that. <laughs> like when the ice cream van appears. <laughs> nothing nothing creates memes quite like professional wrestling does. <laughs> Like my, I still, I'm still reeling from the one when uh, the news came out that Cena had broken up with Nikki Bella, and the referee that came to tell <laughs> the Undertaker was there. It was like kids, responsibilities, marriage. <laughs> like Cena <laughs> runs off to the back. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Um, right. Wait, no, yeah, I mean you, you, you're bang to rights. Um, with with that, I mean, I so I just recently um went to see the film about uh, Paige. Talk about this on on SCID this week. Uh, Fighting with my family, this film that they've released about the story, Page's story, and there's this this weird scene in it where, because obviously it's it's you know it's designed to appeal as much to a non wrestling audience as a wrestling audience. So they obviously take liberties with the way things happen and and all that sort of stuff. Um, but there's this very odd scene in it where uh, it's meant to be like representative of sort of Paige's first live event or whatever. And, and it's like an NXT show in front of this audience of about 50 people. And she's meant to be cutting this, this promo and she forgets, you know, she can't say anything and, and she doesn't know what to say. And so she chokes. Um, but she does it in front of this wrestling audience that are very much portrayed as, you know, kind of drunken caveman, like chauvinists who have, very little intelligence among them. And it was quite uncomfortable watching it as a wrestling fan because you, I, I was kind of sat there thinking, I can easily believe, I mean, I don't even know if he had any involvement in the film. I don't think he did. Um, but I could easily believe that that kind of uh, beer-swilling idiot that the wrestling fans are portrayed, in, portrayed as in that particular scene is exactly what someone like Vince McMahon thinks of the wrestling audience. I mean, Vince, it's very difficult now to watch the product without it, it demonstrating a sense of contempt for its own audience, um, which has to stem from Vince, because as we are told a million and one times every year, everything goes through him. Um, and so that was very disquieting. And then, and then suddenly you start to think about maybe that's what informs the fact, you know, that they, that they, they, even as capable as they are of producing these good segments like the attack on Ric Flair, that's why they go to, 
you know, people like Batista and, and stuff, because this is a product now that operates in, in contempt of its fan base rather than for it. I mean, I'm not sure if it's in contempt of its fan base as, as, uh, as much as it is in complete ignorance of its fan base. Like, you know, that, that uh, because what's become more and more clear to me uh, and when you read some of this stuff that goes on backstage is that Vince creates a product that he would like to watch. Yeah. Thinking that that's what everyone else wants to watch. I can imagine that he's got the ego to think that what he wants to watch is what everyone else would like to watch. And I, I wonder, how, because famously, like when you think about the way that WCW guys were treated and stuff, you know, the, the, the folklore goes that he doesn't like to bring in characters that were successes elsewhere and then treat them as, you know, equal successes in WWE. He, he prefers the successes of WWE itself. So one wonders how much that translates to why these NXT characters come in and there's sort of very little, if any, recognition of their story arcs in NXT and they aren't put on the same kind of platform and pin and plinth that, that they were allowed to be in NXT. Um, and, you know, because even, I mean, even going back to the Shield guys, you know, these were these were names and stars that were making waves in NXT before that in FCW and very much self-motivated. Uh, and you kind of wonder, you know, how, how much does does Vince not like the idea deep down, even if he's not aware of it himself, that something like NXT has come along and turned into what it is and has essentially made these stars into, into success stories before they even get to him you know, and instead, that's why he's going to push Jinder Mahal to the WWE Championship, and he's going to, you know, bring back guys like Batista, who were very much main roster successes. Like, how much does he see NXT as other? Well, that, yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I think uh, we've talked before about the dividing line between, you know, developmental or a farm system and it being its own product. Now, what Triple H has done very successfully is turn it into its own product, but Triple H's tastes a very different to Vince McMahon's taste. Triple H is a guy who is a life like to wrestle, you know, who is you know, a wrestling nerd, you know, a guy that, that as, I mean, I, I remember watching the, his documentary, what was it called? Like King of Kings or something. One of those Something like, like, one of those like DVD sets where you got like a three hour documentary and it's a bit self-indulgent, very Triple H. Um, but there's a bit where like his parents come on and say, Oh yeah, he made us drag us all around the Northeast going to watch wrestling shows. You know, he was trained by Killer Kowalski. Like, you know, he 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 worked his his formative years as a wrestling performer were with people like Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin. You know, people that grew up through the business in its traditional form, and you can see from just from stuff like the desire, the North American Championship, and the the you know bringing back of War Games and and all that kind of stuff that. Yeah, Triple H is a guy who has fairly traditional pro wrestling tastes, albeit with his own, you know, he is certainly a, a WWF guy at heart and stuff. So you can certainly see Vince's influence in, in, in some of the stuff he does. But but he's got more of a traditional pro wrestling bent than anything that's on the main roster. And so you, um, you wonder if there's a tension there. Yeah, unless we forget, of course, that, that the way NXT has evolved has completely altered the way that the recruitment system for talent has worked. And that, again, you know, going as far back as Seth and Dean, now this generation of talent that are incredibly self-motivating and 
one of, if not the most talented generation of wrestlers I've ever seen in my lifetime, um, you know, have all made names for themselves and lived in infamy before they've even gotten to WWE. May have been under a different name, but we live in a world where everyone knows that Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose were Tyler Black and John Moxley. Well, I mean, like even Kevin going back to was Kevin Steen, where Daniel Bryan was Brian. Oh, exactly. Daniel yeah, Bryan. I mean, Brian. So, you know, is and, the big one. And isn't so it? again, you kind of go, well, you know, how much does Vince sort of actively resent the fact that they didn't need the WWE machine behind them to become successes? Well, they, you know, they certainly. Um, you can certainly see in the treatment of punk, particularly early on that they actively resisted bringing in those sorts of guys. And the one yeah. guy they did bring in really was punk. Um, and it took him an awful long time to get that sort of stink of you are just an indie guy yeah. off of him. And Brian you know, well, they were cleverer, weren't they? Because they presented him on the original NXT exactly as that to kind of basically twist everyone's tail and it, and it worked. So I give them credit for that, but, but yeah, certainly with punk, it was a bit like you could tell they resented this, you know, signing this guy that everyone said was great. And then to make things worse, who was his biggest defender in the company, Paul Heyman, who at the time was kind of on his way out because he pissed everyone off. By being Paul Heyman. And, and, and obviously one of the breaking points for him was December to December. One of the major issues around that event was the fact that he wanted to push Punk in the main event. And instead Vince said, no, we're pushing Bobby Lashley. You know, so that, I mean, that in, in, in a microcosm is is exactly what we're talking about. And I can easily believe that a large part of what informs this bizarre notion that Vince seems to have, that they have no stars right now, is because to him, the current generation all have that stink of these are indie guys to him and to him alone, because what's quite clear is triple H's mindset has, is not in the same place. Otherwise they wouldn't be recruiting these guys to NXT. And certainly the fan base's mindset isn't there either, but you, you kind of, you know, you begin to wonder like how much of this idea that there are no stars is because they've all come from a place that, that showed that actually you can be a success without Vince McMahon's, you know, outdated 1980s creativity. But is it uh, even is it even 1980s? You know what I mean? Like the creativity of the 1980s was really good. I'd love it if Vince could well, what, rediscover what, I mean, what he was in the 1980s. Well, what I mean by that is the 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 kind of the old fashioned uh, sort of machoism that that. You know, I very much get the impression informs a, a lot of Vince McMahon's ideas of what a hero is meant to be and look like and sound like. And, oh, it was and like and, yeah, there's certainly that. Um, you know, that that sense of, of vulnerability equates to weakness and weakness equates to a lack of heroism, which is just nonsense. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, <clears throat> as always... As always, we could go. On, we could talk about this uh, for hours, and no doubt we'll on the, on the road to WrestleMania further. I mean, um, in the meantime, we'll just uh, we'll hopefully it will just be a really good triple threat tag match that will make us forget some of the <laughs> the, the sort of issues surrounding it. Um, all right, I forgot we were talking about Fastlane. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's as, as we said earlier on, it's it's always more interesting to dive off into diversions than strictly stick to the card, anyway, isn't it? Certainly on this show. Um, so. Something I do really like um, is this kind of little mini push for Mandy Rose as Asuka's challenger. 
I'm glad they remembered there is a SmackDown Women's Championship, by the way. I, I was wondering. Yeah, quite. Um, so I, I really like this. Like, we talked uh, before Elimination Chamber about how impressive Mandy Rose has been and kind of stepping up to the plate. You know, uh, she obviously is still learning and, and, and still a little bit green, but she's got a look. She's got the sort of brassy personality. Um, and... I, you know, I, I really think she could be a great women's heel for a lot of years to come. Um, so, yeah, I like this combination. I'm looking forward to it. It's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's uh, one of the more uh, uh, on-paper, eye-catching contrasts, I think. Uh, and it's almost kind of what we were talking about with the women's tags in that you've got this fierce worker in Asuka going up against... Uh, you know, a solid ring hand, but but someone I think it's fair to say is more of a character-driven performer, uh, which is very interesting. Mandy reminds me in some ways uh, of Trish Stratus in the sense in the early days, the, yeah. You, you get the impression that yeah, okay, she's very rough around the edges at the minute, but she's going to go on and continue to improve and improve and improve, and that by the time that she's done, she'll be remembered very fondly as a very accomplished women's wrestler i get the impression that mandy rose is naturally what they kind of seem to be wishing lacey evans is bizarrely um because there's rumors that lacey evans is going to be wrestling asker at, at wrestlemania and they want her to be the you know the next big women's wrestler and all the rest of it i think they see lacey which evans. apparently which apparently you managed to accomplish by having someone randomly walk out in on every show and do nothing oh it's awful isn't it it's like uh this kind of bizarre like world war Two. World War Two like B fifty two bomber girl look and her just walk out and say that everyone's nasty and then walk out walk away again. Like what I what I sense they're trying to do with Lacey Evans is they're trying to recreate John Cena in the sense that obviously Cena's early stuff uh, as the as the sort of heel rapper was you know, to kind of get him over for long enough that then you could turn him face. And I, I get the impression that they think that this, because obviously she was a, fa- a white meat face in, in NXT. So I, I get the impression that they think that this heel run is going to be what helps them make her into a female Cena. Cause like the army background, like the, uh, if you look into her, to her actual life, like, you can see how 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 someone like Vince would think there was dollar signs all over that. So that's where I reckon they're going with that one. But yeah, Mandy, I think is very much um, very much somebody who uh, I have enjoyed watching, and I think will be just a really a really good part of the product for quite a, quite a long time to come. Whether that's with um, you know with Sonya or whether that's kind of by herself, you know, I think she's got a lot about her so yeah I, I really hope that they give this a bit of time and just you know let her show a little bit of what she's learned over the last year or so yeah absolutely i think it should be a pretty solid uh, match and hopefully the the lack of attention that, that wwe has on it will allow them to be able to uh you know exercise some creative muscle and just put together a really solid match that will remind of the kind of matches Asuka had very early on in NXT against people like Emma. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great. So I think Asuka will probably retain. Uh, certainly if she's... I mean, God, that sounds like... That's got pre-show right away, but if she does end up wrestling Lacey, isn't it? Um, 
Okay, so let's. Uh, we got obviously two, uh, three big matches uh, left here. So let's look at um, Daniel Bryan v Kevin Owens. I cannot, for the life of me, I was I was tweeting about this earlier on. Even by the standards of pro wrestling booking, I cannot see like any logic in this, and I don't mean from the point of view of like the transparent attempt to try and recreate the Daniel Bryan stuff with Kofi Kingston. I mean, you have Vince overrule his children. <laughs> again. Again. Br- like, bring out Kevin Owens, who then is a face, an everyman <laughs> face to boot, who, like, Daniel Bryan, like, tells off for eating popcorn... And then Kofi Kingston and the New Day are outraged and are going to gate crash Fastlane because he's been removed from the title match. But they also had Owens and Kingston tag together and they got Graves on commentary saying, well, of course Owens took the match. He's offered you a world title match. Wouldn't you take it? Etc. Etc. So the whole thing is just a gigantic mess, really. Am I sad about seeing Kevin Owens with Daniel Bryan? Absolutely not. Like, they'll tear it down. I just think they had a really... Good, feel-good story with Kofi Kingston as a challenger of the month for the WWE title. If they wanted to do Kevin Owens at WrestleMania, they could have waited until after the Kingston match was done and just done it in the last four weeks for WrestleMania. Instead, they've muddied the waters and just made it like a sort of tangled mess, more so even than the women's title, which is saying something. It's... It's a typical case of their inability to to see the consequences of their own decision making um, and their inability to, again, to understand characters. So obviously this traces back to the gauntlet match that they did ahead of the Elimination Chamber, where Ali was meant to reprise what they did with Seth the year before. Ali gets injured. They sub in Kofi, but they don't change the narrative of the match. They just go, we're going to do exactly with Ali what what we're going to do exactly with Kofi, what we were going to do with Ali contextually it would have made sense for that to happen with Ali given the way his character has been over the last few weeks since he debuted on Smackdown Live it made less sense contextually for Kofi Kingston from an in-universe perspective to suddenly become a world beater overnight like that nonetheless um, as I said I would you know the column that I wrote at the time said look I have issues with the with the writing in this but if they then allow it to play out into something then fine they've allowed it to play out into something he was able to put in another Sterling performance at Elimination Chamber. They've maintained this idea that he's just been sleeping on all of this and that he's actually a, 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 always been a bit of a world beater. And so as a result, I don't have an issue with the concept of pushing Kofi's big title match back to WrestleMania and bringing Owen's title match forward. But because it's WWE and they're terrible writers and they've got a writing room full of people who don't know how to write well, like you say, the execution of it has been appalling <clears throat> because presumably, you know, Kev- the Kevin Owens segments have been airing for some time. They must have known, indeed, the rumor was that this was the plan for some time, that they were going to do Owens versus Brian for the tile at, at Mania. Why then did you put yourself in a position where coming out of Elimination Chamber, you set up over the course of, what was it, two weeks, a title match between Brian and Kingston only at the nth hour to then have to substitute it. Instead of just calling the audible a bit sooner, realizing what you had on your hands and what you what you had worked yourself into in the build-up to Elimination Chamber, 
um, before you'd even booked anything with Kofi and instead brought Owens back and avoided the whole mess altogether instead of going down that rabbit hole to then try and write yourself out of the rabbit hole in a segment that made very little sense because all it did was make Kofi Kingston look like a complete idiot because it took, you know, in the time it took Vince McMahon to come out and announce Kevin Owens and Kevin Owens to get down to the ring and Kevin Owens to sit down and Kevin Owens to cut a promo and Kevin Owens to sign the contract. Kofi could have signed the contract 15 times over anyway and ended up with the title match. So from a fictional perspective, the production of it made very little sense and made Kofi look like a moron and an idiot. And not least because think, also his 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 pals were outraged and, you know, shouting how unjust it was and he just kind of stood there. Well, exactly. Absolutely. Looking rather miserable for himself. So again, there's there's contextual issues from an in-universe perspective. And this is before you even then address the issue of Kevin Owens, who um, left the company as one man and came back as a completely other man without any um, other than spending some time with his family and kids, without there being any kind of catalyst for this complete, complete change in mentality and 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 uh, worldview. Uh, which is an issue. Uh, you know, people uh, sort of, when Seth turned a couple of years ago, people immediately latched onto this idea of, well, I've got no reason to cheer for him. You know, tell me a reason you've got to cheer for Kevin Owens, other than the fact you've seen him with a kid, which is, he's made no secret of in all the time he was a heel, by the way. Uh, so that's an issue. That's before you then get to the fact that we've once again what I was talking about a week or so ago about world building broken our own rules because all of a sudden, apparently, if you go out with an injury, you can then decide which brand you come back on for your own self without any kind of any kind of uh, adherence to a brand split. So suddenly Kevin Owens, who left as a Monday Night Raw guy, came comes back as a SmackDown Live guy and immediately gets a WWE title shot besides not having been on TV for months and months and years and years. Well, not years and years, obviously, but months and months. Um you know, and then you start piling on top of that all the stuff with Vince and the McMahons, which isn't very interesting. And like you say, I mean, the whole thing is just a, a horrid mess. I'm sure they'll have a great match. Um, and I think that there is an, in, an inherently interesting angle pitting these two characters against one another, which I detailed on, on SCID. So there is a way to make it work. But, you know, it's just it's just shoddy right. And then this last week, of course, on the Go Home show, they reinsert Mustafa Ali into the whole thing. Which, which was a bit odd as well and a bit bizarre. So, um, I mean, God only knows, you know. And, and I, can't, I can only think the reason they did that is because uh, apparently the original plan was for Ali to have this, this match with Brian at, at, at Fastlane, and then it was going to be Kofi, and then it's now it's Owens. Just, you know, they sometimes... I, it's bizarre, isn't it? WWE have this bad habit of sticking to a plan when they shouldn't and not sticking to a plan when they should. Yeah, this is the thing, isn't it? It's like their plans got thrown into disarray a bit. Fans got into something. And it's like, you know, the Brian thing at WrestleMania 30 was a great example of how they adapted on the fly and they did it really well. And this yes. is a case of them having to adapt on the fly. They did the right thing to start with, like post nation chamber, Kofi's the story, make Kofi the story. And then they were like, you know what we could do? is we could pretend that Kofi wasn't the story and see if the fans go mad again. It's a bit like, yeah, people are smarter than that. Well, I think, <laughs> you know, again, I, I've got no issue with the concept of them pushing Kofi's match back to WrestleMania. That's something that a lot of fans, you know, were, were kind of uh, anchoring after anyway, hankering after anyway. The, there, is a, there is another issue at play, which is be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. 
you know, and and the truth is, let's, you know, and I don't want to sound like I'm attacking anyone here, but let's be quite blunt and matter of fact about it. Nobody gave two shits about Kofi Kingston in January. People have been worked into caring by WWE, which is in, in one way a good thing. But the fact that no one really gave a shit in January means that we don't really want a world in which Kofi Kingston is WWE champion because what's the long-term plan? One of the major issues with WWE over the last half decade in particular has been a lack of clear roster positioning. And the last thing we need is to be mudging those waters even further through these kind of improvisations and these kind of short-sighted um, decisions made on WWE's part, which then kind of unduly affect fan uh, mindsets in the immediate. I mean, it's it's weird to be saying this because wrestling is the kind of thing where you, you, you want that to be happening. You want fans to have their mindsets affected. You want them to have emotive reactions. But, you know, if, if you want to talk as a wrestling critic, then you need to be very much aware, I think, of the fact that, you know, we live in a world where there's no clear roster positioning as it is. And we need to be cementing that before we start, you know, deciding which which veterans to to be given thank you pushes for because it would be a thank you push ultimately yeah of course um, and 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 while that's that's admirable in principle uh you know when there's so many other issues at play because when they did it with like benoit and eddie you know they, the kind of it wasn't the kind of environment problematic environment that we have at the minute so it it sort of wasn't a problem you know and it was kind of it came at the right time when the company was sort of in a transitional period I think it would be completely the wrong time to be pulling a trigger like that at this point. And I think, especially with Brian on the, on the absolute form of his career, um, it would be, it would be a silly idea. And by pushing Kofi's match back to WrestleMania, it presents the problem of suddenly, if he doesn't win, great to be having. Yeah. yeah, While, while it's great to be having, you know, a slew of top matches at WrestleMania that people genuinely care about, involving characters people genuinely want to see win. Do we really think WWE are going to have a WrestleMania where Kofi wins the WWE title, Seth wins the Universal title, and Becky wins the Raw Women's title? Or is it more likely that at least one of those three is going to come up short? Because if Kofi wins the WWE title and then Becky and or Seth end up coming up short, I'm going to be really pissed off that those two, one of those two were thrown under the bus for this short-sighted, what I would believe to be error in judgment. I mean, I don't think I don't think that's it. it like in the least of possibility, I think the the far more likely scenario is that people, uh, you know, people will be very worked up about Kofi beating Daniel Bryan. He won't, um, and people will get over it pretty quickly. I, I I imagine. I hope so. I mean, that's that's a far far more likely scenario. I think. Um, and in and in a strange way, that's the best case scenario. You get a WrestleMania title match people care about that features fully contemporary talent. People get it out of the system, and we move on. So it reminds me of a little bit. It reminds me of when um, you had Booker T against Triple H at what was mm. that like nineteen? Yeah, like because people really got into Booker as a face in the lead up to that match, and although people have often cited it as being, you know exhibit b in triple h's uh, extensive cv of burying's um actually i think it's a really good match and it's just that they they fuck up the finish so that triple h takes about an hour to crawl over and pin him after a pedigree doesn't they so i i think like it reminds me a bit of that like people will get over it pretty quick like and because people ultimately they love to boo daniel bryan they don't actually hate daniel bryan they just he's just a brilliant heel like people won't be upset that daniel bryan still you know, WWE champion, far from it. Um, 
so yeah, I just think this Kevin Owens thing has been mishandled. If I'm WWE, I do not bring Kevin Owens back until after WrestleMania. Like, what is the point of shoehorning him now? Just, just, well, this is, yeah. just strikes me as ridiculous short-termism. This is the other thing, isn't it? And like, given their interactions in the chamber, you could have easily had a very compelling match between Brian and Joe. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, or don't have this fucking pay-per-view at all. <laughs> well, quite, yeah. I mean, this is the other thing, isn't it? Absolutely. And it also, you think, like, the reason why that you have to have a WWE Championship match here is because you can't have a bloody Universal you, Championship match. The Universal match. one. Oh, <laughs> even so, even if they, were, if they were always planning to reunite the Shield, which clearly they probably weren't because they didn't know that Ray would be back, but you didn't even need to have a title match. Just main event it with the Shield. Well, this is, I mean, it's just, it's hilarious, isn't it? In a, in a, in a tragic kind of way in that when you're discussing these things, uh, it just it just naturally presents how many issues there are that they have to deal with to get this product back on track. Yeah, for sure. So, I, so. It's, it's, right. it's like a hydra. You chop one off and two more seem to take its place. Yeah, quite. At least it, it, it keeps us in a column writing material. If nothing well, else. Quite, yeah. Um, all right, so we've got then the women's eliminator. Uh, I watched all of this stuff earlier on, um, catching up, and it was a bit like, did you watch Ronda Rouse's promo? Uh, I have consciously avoided <laughs> Good. Uh, television around this storyline. Good too. grief. Right, okay. So it might be the worst promo I've ever seen in my life. Blimey. Like... She she spoke so fast, <laughs> like half the time she wasn't even holding the mic near her face, and it was it was it was horrendous. It was all this sort of like, oh, you know, if I even sneeze near them, I'd break something. You can't handle me. I'm a loose cannon, and it was just like, oh my god, it, I don't even know how to describe how bad it was. Um, but I think and and that's. That has become increasingly my issue with this uh, situation. I know that, I mean, I'm, I'm almost loath to criticise because I think the environment we're in, it's important for fans to be positive about things that they think WWE are getting right. Because I think one issue that, again, has been at play over recent years is that when WWE do get things right, fans still criticise them. So the company, to be fair to them, will probably find it very difficult to know what to go with because of that. Um, having said that, though... You know, and I've said this for weeks now on this show, on SEID, on social media, you know, people saying that, that Charlotte Flair is, is an intrusive presence in this match. Uh, Ronda is the intrusive presence in this match because, you know, she's she, they obviously brought her in a year ago. Uh, she's had a, a, a number of, of, of pay-per-view matches. Uh, maybe... One of them has been excellent. One, a couple have been really good. The rest have been kind of at the best forgettable. Uh, and what she's shown over the course of the build to this WrestleMania match in particular is that as a professional wrestler, in terms of, of what I as a fan see on screen that leads me to believe what I think good professional wrestling is, Ronda Rousey is not at the level that she should be to justify being in the position that she's in heading into this WrestleMania. You're talking about arguably the first women's match to close out WrestleMania, which at least in the company's eyes is a big deal. And I think probably to a lot of fans is a big deal. 
and it's posi- and the championship is positioned on a performer who is as the weeks go on increasingly obviously i think underqualified to be in this position which is even before you get to any issues you may have with the ideas of meritocracy and the women who have been around long enough and have put in the hard work and the sweat and really broke down the barriers to get them to this place in the first you know in the first instance without which ronda wouldn't even be in the company incidentally um and I think, and that's become increasingly the issue uh, for me. I think Becky's character hasn't necessarily been written in the most intelligent way, um, intermittently so, not consistently so, but intermittently. I think there's been stupid ways in which that that character's been presented. Um, and so, you know, if this was Becky versus Charlotte on the back of the stuff that they'd done last year, um, then I'd be completely on board. But I've consciously avoided the TV for this storyline this week, because at this point I feel like it's going to be very easy for me to start to turn really quite against this storyline. And that's largely on Ronda's shoulders, you know, and they've obviously seemingly turned her into a a villain because she hasn't been able apparently to, to really hack the fact that fans haven't been behind her, which kind of reinforces opinions that were there after she, I believe start, I don't follow UFC, but I believe there was some, kind of who who are around when she lost in UFC and, and sort of became a bit more introverted and, and stuff. I think it's clear that Ronda Rousey is never going to be what someone like Shayna Baszler is able to be in the world of professional wrestling. And that's largely because WWE have, again, worked themselves into a shoot that somehow she's the fastest and most natural pro wrestler to have come along since Kurt Angle, which I think is a self-evidently ridiculous thing to say. Well, yeah, this is the thing. I really, I really think, and it's interesting to see everyone else's opinion come around to mine. But I really thought that they rushed, they rushed things so so badly um, with Rousey. Like they couldn't wait to put her, you know, in these kind of marquee title matches, and you know, like I know that. For example, like something like the Charlotte match um, was a real success. And, 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 you know, it's not surprising that if you put her in there with, um, you know, a wrestler that's been probably doing it as long as anybody on the female roster, like then, yeah, you, you like Charlotte is a, is a great talent. You're going to get a good match out of it because, yes, Rousey does have athletic gifts that enable her to pick up some things quite quickly but what she's never picked up are nuances of character psychology which are actually the most important thing you know jake roberts did not need to um wrestle more than four or five moves and he was one of the best that ever was because everything that he did has an economy and it mattered and it and it was accompanied by looks and gestures and story like always the story and that's what i don't think Ron, someone like ronda rousey will ever have and that's why well, kurt angle is considered one of the greatest ever because that's what he picked up yes. he didn't pick up how to do wrestling moves quickly he picked up how to be a top quality pro wrestling heel extraordinarily quickly and that's why he was great, not because he was good at suplexes, you know. And I think that's what Rousey 
has not picked up because the thing is, is that I remember you saying this the very first time we talked about her after her rumble appearance in Philadelphia, which was she couldn't seem to to keep control of what it was she was doing. She was either grinning or she was trying to look fierce. And when she looks mm-hmm. fierce, she looks more ridiculous than when she's trying yeah. to be happy go lucky. So like she does this thing where she's got her eyes bulging out of her face and she's staring at Stephanie and she's spitting this terrible promo. And it's a bit like you are trying so hard. And why is it that people have loved Becky Lynch so much? Because you know what Becky Lynch discovered? She discovered that actually, if you just exude like your kind of natural confidence and menace, then people will like that. People will enjoy it. And I know her Twitter stuff is over the top and stuff, but what Becky has done really well in the ring and in TV segments is she has, she has walked what she's talked and that's what Rousey can't quite get her head around. And that's why she feels underqualified. And that's why I think this triple threat seemed like, cause like we, we, we talked to doc, right? I'm not against the triple threat at all. I was kind of like, I'd rather have a one-on-one match, but if it's a triple threat, so be it. It would probably be a better match for having Charlotte in it, honestly. So, fine. The story's better if it's one-on-one. The match is better if it's a triple threat. So, whatever. Um, What I think they really got wrong is that they panicked because of how people have reacted to Rousey uh, after the Rumble. And now they felt compelled to do this thing where they're formally turning her heel when they were much better off just leaving her as it was it didn't really matter like so having her come and say you will boot me in my hometown like Mm. you know it's as if she's the rock yeah you didn't need to do that you just didn't need to um you could just let let her be let charlotte be the the heel let becky be the one that ever wants to win it and let rousey be what she's been since she joined the company you know, a special attraction, um, and it would have been just fine. Instead, again, they've muddied the waters. They've been like, Becky's suspended. Uh, no, she's not. Ronda's vacated the title. Uh, no, she's not. Uh, it's going to be a title match. Oh, no, it's not. It's an eliminator. Also, this ambiguous statement from Steph saying Becky is, inverted commas, done if she loses, like, with no clarification on what that actually means. It means she's at the back of the line for a title match, or does that mean that she's fired? Like the whole thing is again, a, a consequence of having far too much time before WrestleMania and needing to fill it somehow. And it seems Bad like right is trying to do that. Yeah. Even the hot angle that they have, which is this match, it feels like they're kind of pissing down the drone. It does a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's hard to be hopeful that it will remain as heated and as lively and as, um, uh, at the forefront of fans' minds once we get to WrestleMania, as it has been, because it to me it already feels like it's it's starting to wobble a little bit, you know, over the last couple of weeks particularly. Um, so I guess we will we will have to see. Um, I mean, you know, and it might again be because WrestleMania 13 was a show I watched this last weekend, but ultimately this entire situation seems back to front, and if you think. I mean, you've said this from from the very, very beginning when she first turned up, um, went to the Ken Shamrock comparison. 
and you go back to WrestleMania last year, I was saying, I think Mazza was backing me up at the time as well, that Asuka versus Charlotte felt like it should have been the main event of that show. It felt like a huge deal. You'd got these two performers who had both been very naturally built up in their own ways. You know, Asuka was undefeated. She'd won the Rumble. Charlotte was the champion and she, you know, the most prolific women's champion in the, in the modern age. Um, and it felt like a huge deal. And if you'd have had Ronda Rousey inserted into that in a shamrock-like special referee skit to introduce her to the main roster, suddenly you've got an absolute headlining blockbuster match at WrestleMania. Charlotte, the champion versus Asuka, undefeated with Ronda as the special referee. You know, a bit of a showdown with, with both the competitors like Shamrock has in that submission match. And then you start building Ronda up over the course of the following year as a competitor. You get to WrestleMania this year. Becky Lynch is the champion and Ronda is the one coming after her. You know, like if you'd have followed through that line, then I think you'd have probably avoided most of the pitfalls that you currently, that they currently face with this entire situation. They wouldn't need to have felt compelled to introduce third party. You know, they wouldn't have, uh, we wouldn't be in this situation where, like you say, you know, one week it's Becky versus Ronda and then it's Charlotte versus Ronda and then it's Charlotte versus Becky and then it's Charlotte versus Ronda again. Or is it Becky versus Ronda because Ronda's vacated the title? Oh, no, wait, she hasn't. And now she's a heel, even though she was a face, so on and so forth. So it goes, you know, right all the way back to the beginning. And I think this is a this is the result of a legacy of of um I don't even think bad decision making necessarily, just 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 ill advised uh, creative choices, um, and yeah, it's it's a shame to to imagine that this could fizzle out before we get to WrestleMania. But as the weeks go on, um, the less and less I feel like it deserves that final spot on the card, which ironically probably means the more likely it is to get it, knowing WWE. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's just... Like, do you really want to close out WrestleMania with a match that features one of the least experienced performers on the main roster? You know, you you kind of feel like if they don't... You know, if if Rousey is leaving after WrestleMania, that makes you more sure that she won't be back. Um, Mm. It's an interesting dilemma they've got there, really, because I think... There's a lot. Of I mean, it. just can I just before I forget, mate, just to cut you off for a second. You know that that bothers me as well. Is what you've what you've just said is the idea that Ronda has turned up after the hard work has been done to get the women in this position to gain the benefit of all the hard work of the women who got the performers who got women in this position, only to then bugger off after she's taken that historic moment. Like that really does bother me as a fan. Yeah, no, similar. I mean, I, I felt that way when she when she showed up. Really, you know that there's an awful lot of there's an awful lot of talented um, female performers on that roster that you know never get a look in. People like Amber Moon, you know, and it's people like that that um, you know. I don't. I mean, I don't want to use the phrase like taking a spot from, but but certainly if you're going to use your fame and notoriety to just swan around a pro wrestler for a year and then go mm, you know what this isn't for me like that that does leave a bit that does leave a bad taste in the mouth i think a little bit it does because it's one step away from brock lesnar well quite and you know like the other thing that makes me think that this will main event is that 
there's so much, even even with it being a fresh challenger in Seth, there's so much Brock Lesnar fatigue still that you wonder whether they dare put him in that situation again. I mean, probably they will because they don't really learn anything, do they? But um, I guess I guess we'll see uh, on the night. Well, we'll probably know way in advance the night if we leak out and before then. But it's another example as well as how full of crap the PR machine is as well because they'll say, oh well, you know. Uh, WrestleMania has three or four main events now. Uh, it's like, well, okay, so why are you losing anything by not putting the women on last if you believe, genuinely believe that it doesn't matter what place a match goes on a card? Yeah, got got to wait, got to wait for you know, bloody fifteen hours to get to the main event anyway. Um, well, this is true. All right, so uh, obviously Becky Lynch most likely will win and get as is, although they might even want to play this out a little bit longer, like have some and sort again, of foot on again, the ropes thing. Again, we're back into, into to solve one problem, be presented with two more, isn't it? Which is, all right, the women go on last. It's a seven hour fucking show. No one's going to, you know, are you do, actually doing the women a disfavor at this point by putting them on last? Because people are going to be so exhausted at that stage, especially if they do Kofi v. Brian, which people are well into, Seth v. Brock, which people are emotionally invested in. Like, are you actually setting the women up to fail by putting them on last, bizarrely? I mean, it's it's the yeah. state of this company right now. It's a, it's a, tri- it's a tricky question, for sure. Um, all right, so finally, uh, we have uh, the reunion of the Shield, of course. Now, obviously, this is kind of about because Rain Reigns has returned, and also because they've had to do an abrupt about face uh, with the Dean Ambrose heel turn, given that that he was so it seems potentially leaving, uh, or perhaps not. It's quite uh, obviously there was a report out that they've started advertising him for May house shows when his contract ended in April, and also Roman Reigns was quoted in several of the TV appearances and press appearances in the aftermath of you know, announcing that he was in remission, that he was going to work on getting Ambrose to sign that contract, which is quite interesting. Now, I'm not going down the road of the whole thing was a work. I do, you know, believe that maybe if one of your real life friends is saying, hey, look, I'm back now, like, come on, we'll sort this out together, then maybe it might might make him think a little bit more. So, But regardless of whether Ambrose stays or goes, if he goes, then this is going to be a nice farewell for him. And and if he stays, then the long term story arc of the shield has another chapter and and will continue on, which is also very, very nice. So it's a win win. I mean, I know they're against Corbin, McIntyre and Lashley, but, you know, even so, the angle they ran on Monday night, I thought, had the usual emotional resonance that all shield angles have. I certainly felt a little bit tearful watching it. So much to unpack. Um, I think what's what's interesting to consider is if Dean is still leaving and is and is is absolutely unwavering in his decision, um, one wonders whether they're better letting this be his last match and just then sort of not not keeping him around to sort of keep losing on TV and at WrestleMania, yeah, and just let him go out on you know one last because they've been what I've enjoyed about this is them consciously promoting it as one last time. And that that sense of it being um, uh, like a curtain call for the group makes it feel all the more poignant. I mean, it's a shame that it's against, you know, 
the, one of the most unconvincing and god awful trios of talent I can ever remember seeing in my life as a wrestling fan. That just I cringe whenever they're on screen. Um, but nonetheless, um, I think that's a moot point because even if he is still leaving, I think it's WWE and the rumor is they want to try and do everything they can to convince him to stay, which I'm not sure how much I believe that considering the amount of losses he's been taking on TV in, in recent weeks, which is very kind of, you know, traditionally what happens to people who are, who WWE have already come to terms with, with a parting of the ways on. Um, but then Roman's back. So you don't know how much that, that may have changed things. I think the fact that Roman is back uh, so soon makes the potential loss of Dean Ambrose even bigger um, because you think about all of the issues this company is facing. You think about the desperate need for a cultural shift. Like there's no stronger chance of that happening than if you have all three members of the shield together on the same show, making their influence felt backstage um, because, of course, that's how they made waves when they first turned up was, you know, as a group, they stuck together. They've been very open about it in interviews and stuff. They went to Vince and said, it doesn't make sense for us to be losing to John Cena. So they didn't lose to John Cena. They went to Vince and said, look, we've got some some life left in us as a babyface group. So let's have a babyface run. So they had a babyface run, so on and so forth. So I think it would only make the loss, potential loss of Dean even even greater now that Roman's back. Um all of that aside, though, like you say, it's been um, another interesting little ride here. I re- I've really liked the way that they've done it um, because there was the risk, obviously, of it feeling very shoehorned and very rushed and very inorganic for that. But the way that it, and bizarrely, it, as, as always seems to be the case with anything to do with The Shield, I thought the way that it was written on TV um, was great. It's been kind of foreshadowed a little bit with Dean in recent weeks um, and kind of that segment he had with, with Seth the other week where he was like, where the hell were you? And Seth's like, you've, are you in, have you completely lost your mind? Um, so you've, you've had a sense of Dean being somewhat repentant already. So there's a, a nice and entirely uncommon, I have to say, in WWE piece of foreshadowing there that I think eased us into what we saw with the full-fledged reunion. But I like the fact that Seth was sort of against it initially and then he sort of said to Roman all right I'll do it for you and then he you know you saw him backstage with Dean and said look we've always been wrestling soulmates we fight it's what brothers do that harked back to the, the night of the turn when Dean was beating him up and Seth was still saying it's okay it's all right I love the fact it plays into Dean's character and his motivation for why he said he turned on Seth in the first place we said at the time that he felt like he was made weaker by the group that he would be better off on his own and of course as time has played out very much the opposite has happened. He's been losing. He lost the Intercontinental Championship. He's been losing for weeks on television. So it, it's kind of put paid to this to to the to the motivation, this vision that he had, um, and that that st- emotional conflict he felt, which I think plays brilliantly into his character overall. From the way we've come to know Dean Ambrose, it wouldn't sit right with him to think that oh, you know, I turned on them and I was wrong, and now it's all for nothing. Um, and like I said, just the poignancy of the idea of it being one last time, you know, one last go around for the Hounds of Justice and for the Shield. And if if Dean does end up staying, um, the marvelous thing is that will make it, if anything, even more poignant. So I think it's it's a win-win. You know, it's going to be a solid match um, because it's a Shield six-man. When are they not? Um, at the very least, it's solid. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody expects. Uh, McIntyre, Corbin and Lashley to win and good lord the company's truly lost its mind if they do 
Um, but um, you know, it's it's. It, you, listen, this is the right side of the pond. We're never not going to be excited about a Shield match. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? And and I think the other thing about Dean staying potentially is that one thing missing is an extensive series of of Reigns Ambrose matches. You know, we've had all yeah. the other combinations, but the only Reigns Ambrose conflicts either been in triple threat or fatal four ways where essentially it's kind of like hey like we'll go and have a beer afterwards or it's been you know at the end of a tournament uh which was ends up getting overshadowed by bloody Sheamus of all people um so yeah I, I I would love to see this kind of reunion uh kind of end up with Ambrose staying and then you know a little bit down the line uh, a Reigns Ambrose feud. I think that's the one thing we're missing. And maybe what this gives you is a second chance at the Ambrose heel turn because clearly they buggered up the first one. So well, this is the this is the thing, and that's the really interesting part for me. And I kind of touched on this on SEID with my in universe preview, which is um, stay or go. There's still every chance that what we see on Sunday is Dean betray the Shield again. Um, and to set up a potential match with Roman at WrestleMania, because obviously Seth has got the title match this year. Roman doesn't seem to have a clear opponent going into WrestleMania. It could end up being, I mean, I saw one honestly just soul destroying rumor that it was going to be Baron Corbin, um, which is like just so mind bogglingly anticlimactic. Um, you know, if Dean goes, you can do Roman versus Dean in some kind of like loser leaves town job. If Dean stays, you could still do Roman versus Dean and just have it, like you say, parlay into a, an extended Reigns-Ambrose feud that we haven't had yet. And either one of those situations can still end with, uh, you know, a, a, because it could always be a one-off feud as well um, if Dean stays. Uh, you can still, if you want, have a, an, an emotional moment with the Shield at WrestleMania or something. I don't know, but the, the point being... Um, there are a lot of options on the table for WWE with this Shield reunion. Um, I mean, the other thing that I really like as well about this, um, because I think it would be a fair criticism to level at the company for them to maybe have, you know, they did this in 2017. It didn't work out because Roman fell ill. And then they did it in 2018. Uh, oh, and then Dean got injured. And then they did it uh, in in uh, 2018. And, and it didn't really take off perhaps in the way that a lot of people wanted it to. Um, and and that kind of then got derailed because Roman fell ill again with the this time with the leukemia. Um, you could you could perhaps fairly say that this has happened a little too frequently over the last few years. But what I've really liked about this particular instance is it doesn't necessarily to me feel like a reunion, another reunion as such, as much as it does the culmination of the story arc that started the night after SummerSlam. You know it feels like a natural continuation of that rather than, you know, that ended. And now we've got another separate story here because of the fact that it's played off of Ambrose's turn, which played off of Roman's departure, which played off of him being a universal champion at the time, which happened at SummerSlam. So it's, it's had a nice sense of, of sequence to it all. Uh, and now you're sort of seeing it round up, which I think has worked really nicely. I also loved Ambrose on, on raw, um, you know, pacing back and forth, Seth and Roman trying to convince him, and he was, you know, saying, why are you putting all this on me and stuff? So I just think everything about it has been done really well, and I've I've enjoyed it, and uh, I look forward to the match. Yeah, no, but, uh, I'd agree with all of that. The other thing I'd say about, about Reigns at WrestleMania is I 
I think as soon as he came back, the first thing that went to my mind was two dudes with attitude and, you know, you'd get Reigns and Ambrose against, you know, I mean, even if even if I had a tag title shot or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was the first thing that came to my mind. If you, even, even if Ambrose is going, you know, you can have them in a tag match. That would be uh, a good... But now they've done this Shield reunion, I'm not, I'm not quite so sure because I didn't expect them to do that. I expected them to kind of maybe have Reigns and Ambrose do something together, but I didn't necessarily think they'd bring Seth into it but then of course because Lesnar's not around what else they're going to do with Seth really well quite um, yeah. so yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to it I think and the other thing I'd say about the reunions in the past is that to be fair none of them have been full-fledged shield reunions like it's been like the first one was out of necessity because of you know because of basically the forces that were arrayed against them on Raw, and then they had that silent moment in the dressing room. They all started nodding at each other. Um, and then the, the second time, it was kind of like based around the fact that Ambrose and, and, and Rollins were tagging together anyway. Um, so, so yeah, it's kind of like they've been mini reunions. I don't mind that. I think it's like based on the Shield's history, they always have these moments where they come back together. And what I really liked about Monday was that it was basically um, Ambrose doing what Rollins and Reigns did for him at Survivor Series 16. You know, he kind of watched his friends, and despite the kind of conflict, he was like brothers of brothers, and he dived straight back in there. Yeah. Um, so I just, yeah, I thought the whole, I thought it was brilliantly filmed. So like, for all of my critiques of WWE production, that was a brilliant piece of camera work, no doubt about it, where they followed Ambrose back from the crowd to uh, to the ring. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we get to end on a good note and say, one last time, the Shield ride into battle, uh, brackets, hopefully not the last time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. Um, right, so that is our fast lane preview. Um, before we get out of here, let's uh, plug the rest of LOP radio um from uh, the dock on a sunday to sandman on a monday to global impact on a tuesday one nation radio also on a tuesday uh plan with his seid show on a wednesday imp on a thursday with a perfect 10 and we are here on fridays again so um until then also do go and read um plans uh sunday columns um which obviously are about topical things that happened during the week and an excellent monthly roundup of everything that's been going on WWE at the sort of first week of every month. And then um, you can read currently on the main page my discussion of the part-timer issue. I promise it's only 1,100 words, so uh, <laughs> let maybe less long-winded than what we've gone on about tonight. Um, so uh, until next Friday, guys, uh, have a great weekend. Enjoy Fastlane and we'll see you later. Bye.